Well, this is the last message in our series, Bad Times, Good God. If you have missed any of the messages, you can go online and use the app that we have, and you can also just go right on your computer, and you can see any of those messages that we've done and kind of catch up, fill in the blank, especially last weekend. We had a lot of good feedback on God working and speaking to people's hearts because we talked about how to rejoice while you're suffering. Now, normally, we think about rejoicing after we suffer, and you can still do that, right? But to rejoice while you're suffering is a real challenge sometimes. And we said that, you know, suffering is something that can move us to God if we'll trust that God's in control. And if we'll decide in our hearts, God, with whatever I'm going through right now, I just believe you are going to glorify yourself, and for that purpose I live. But there's an aspect of suffering that we didn't talk about last weekend. And while I think there's probably only a few of us who will ever experience it to the degree that Habakkuk describes, to some degree, all of us at times struggle in this area. Now, before I go any further, I'm going to ask you to make sure you listen to the whole message. Because the subject I want to tackle in this text is one that sometimes people get a little bit nervous about. It's rated G, don't worry, all right? Uh, But, so you got to do me that favor, okay? Um, Because it comes around at the end and kind of surprises you a bit. All right? Now you're really interested, aren't you? Or you're nervous, all right? Let's look at the topic. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. It says, though the fig does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Now, what does that describe? That describes an economic crisis, right? It is a situation where you go to bed at night and the piggy bank is full. You get up the next morning and the piggy bank has been broken into and everything is gone. Your portfolio suffers a huge hit. And whether we're talking ancient times or modern times, we all get a little bit nervous when it comes to the area of our resources, our finances, We have a tendency in a materialistic culture, in a capitalistic society, to equate the value of our assets to the worth of our being as a person. And not only do we do that to ourselves, we do that to each other. What kind of car does she drive? What kind of job does he have? What, you know, what subdivision do they live in? Blah, blah, blah. Do they wear what clothes? What, you know, what's on the label? Aren't you glad God never treats us that way? Wow. Okay, you want God to treat you that way? Aren't you glad God doesn't? It's okay to talk back properly. None of us want to be treated that way, but we do that all the time. And it's so important we understand that my worth has nothing to do with my assets. Because those come and go. None of us know when they're going to go. But what do you do when things get hard financially? Well, he gives you the answer. He says in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful, so it's twice, in God my Savior. So in essence, what he's saying is when things get hard, I rejoice. When things are good, I rejoice. When I'm losing my, my investment, I rejoice. You say, well, what do you mean by rejoice? Well, I think the principle he's teaching us here is, and this is so counterintuitive, all right? God's ways are not our ways. Listen carefully. When things get hard financially, 
you need to give more generously. That's the principle. We're like, what? Yeah, that's how it works. When things get tight, God teaches us to be actually more generous. And out of that, he blesses in many different kinds of ways. Our tendency, at least mine, is when things get tight, to tighten up those things. And God says, no, open up. And practice this word. Practice darkness. Practice sacrifice. Practice sacrifice, all right? Which, again, seems counterintuitive. When, when you're losing it, why would you want to sacrifice? Now, I'm going to give you some examples toward the end of the message. That's why I want you to hear the whole thing. Of people who have done this and the blessing that comes and a blessing in your life that maybe you've never really thought about it in this way. Before we do that, though, let's understand this whole principle that God has laid out for us. Rejoice when things are difficult financially, when your portfolio is empty or, or, or you're losing. So Deuteronomy chapter 26, if you want to turn there with me, because I want to encourage you to read it later on. Deuteronomy chapter 26. And by the way, while you're doing that, um, just want to uh, encourage you to be here all December long. The next series, if you have friends who just are skeptical about the nature of Jesus, who Jesus is, bring them. And we're, we're going to talk about that. Jesus comes at Christmas. He's revealed. Well, who is Jesus, really? How, why do we believe he is the Son of God? You don't want to miss that series, all right? It's just three messages. Verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 26. When you have entered the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, that's the promised land, Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, the tabernacle or the temple later, and say to the priest in office at that time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. What we're introduced to in that passage is what's known as first fruits offering. Proverbs chapter 3 puts it this way. It says, honor the, Lord, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. In other words, this principle is simple. Give God your first fruits and God will bless. But how is that sacrifice? Remember, these aren't agrarian people. They're farmers. They're not like farming. You think of in Minnesota or Iowa or Nebraska, places like that. These, were, these are subsistence farmers. That means that they raised just enough food for themselves and maybe a little surplus that they would take to market. Now, logically speaking, when you think about that, the way it would work is you would think you, you bring in your entire harvest of grain, olives, figs, whatever it is you're growing in those days in that place. You see what you've got. And then you decide from your surplus what you're going to give to God. And God says that doesn't work with him. God says the way he wants them to do it, and it's risky, humanly speaking, is I really would like you to give me the very first gleanings from your field, the first grain that ripens, the first figs that come out, the first olives, the first grapes. Bring those to me. Now the risk is this. What if I do that? Remember, these are small little farms. What if I do that, and that night, there's a hailstorm, and it destroys the rest of my crops, or a fire, or a plague of locusts swarm down? 
then I've got nothing left. In that sense, it was a real sacrifice to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give this to you. Then I'm going to trust you to take care of everything else. Yeah, I guess it would be like us saying, you know, uh, and this makes human sense, I've got to wait to my year-end bonus to know what I'll give. Or I've got to wait uh, until I see the return on my investments, how the stock market did by the end of the year, to know what I'm going to give. And humanly speaking, it makes sense to me, it makes sense to you perhaps. But God says, no, I don't want your leftovers. By the way, how many of you are still eating Thanksgiving leftovers? Miss your hands, all right? Enough already, enough already. You have my permission to, to do something else with that, right? God doesn't want leftovers. He doesn't want... He doesn't want things out of our surplus because, listen, when I give out of my surplus, what happens is I'm not sacrificing. You know what the financial investors tell you? Always pay who first? Always pay yourself first. That's not good biblical advice. God says, I want you to honor me first. You're like, man, if I knew you were going to talk about that, I stayed home today, gone shopping. I hope not. I hope not. Well then, what kind of attitude should I have? How should I do this? Do I do it grudgingly? Do I do it sternly? Do I do it kind of, you know, excuse me, can you get my tea, Dan? I've got communion bread stuck in my throat. Apologize. how do I, you know, how am I supposed to do this? <clears throat> and the answer to the question is this. We're supposed to be joyful. We're supposed to be joyful. In fact, let's say that word together. Ready? Joyful. Now say it with a smile. Joyful. <laughs> God wants us to do it joyfully. Because God is a God of joy. Joyful. But what does joyful look like? Well, if you go back to the text and you read Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 5 on, you'll find out that when they come, they come to the priest and they are supposed to give a testimony. I'm not going to ask you to do that. Don't worry. But the testimony they give is, God, my father, Jacob, was a wandering Aramean who made his way down to Exodus. You blessed us in Egypt. I mean, Egypt. And then, God, we were enslaved, and you led us out on the Exodus. You defeated all our enemies, and you brought us in this wonderful land, and you've given me this bountiful crop. You caused the rain to fall. You caused the sun to shine. God, everything I have and I am is because of you. So, God, it is an honor to bless you. It is an honor to give back to you this portion. That's joy. And I don't read anywhere in the Bible where that attitude is supposed to change. In fact, it should increase. So that you and I, we come before God, and in essence, we say to God, God, everything that I am and everything that I have is from you. God, you give me these skills. You give me these abilities. God, you give me this talent. You give me everything I have, the shirt on my back, my family. God, you give me salvation in Christ, forgiveness of my sins, a brand new day start. You're coming back again. If I die before you come back, I'm going to be with you. God, here's just a portion. Thank you so much. That's supposed to be our spirit. That's supposed to be the attitude that God wants to hear from us when we come before him and we share generously, sacrificially with him. Even, listen, even when it's hard times. Even when it's hard times. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth. By the way, remember last weekend we learned that the word rejoice literally means to treasure. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. 
Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Finish it with me. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. Now Jesus explains there how we can have joy. How we can have joy. See, I have two options in life. I can either treasure my treasures or I can treasure my God. I can treasure the gifts or I can treasure the giver. And our resources and our energy and our talents always follow what we love most. I'll prove it to you. If you had the option, you can either take your money and pay taxes with them or go on a Caribbean vacation. How many of you would have to think about that? How many of you would opt for the Caribbean? Absolutely. I'm not going to ask them if they would opt for the taxes because I'm not sure what's wrong with you. All right? But you would, you would go, yes, if I had the choice and I don't have to give it, I'm going on a vacation. And it would be easy for you to do that, right? Because that's what you love. That's what you like. That's what you want to do. But to write that check for your taxes, you, you know, we tend to mutter while we do it. We tend to wait till the last minute to do it because that's our hard-earned money and we're giving it away and we wish we didn't have to give it away. So our money, we tend to effortlessly spend it toward the things that we love and we like. And almost to the point that we sometimes have to be careful we don't overspend. So Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So wherever, where, whatever it is I treasure, it's easy. It's easy to do that. So if I treasure God, then it's easy to honor God with the area of my life that we struggle with the most. And I can't tell you how many people, anytime, you know, a pastor will talk about finances, resources, people get grumpy. I don't get it. It's easier to talk about adultery. It's easier to talk about other kinds of issues than it is about this, as though that's an area of my life that, that is mine, 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 mine. And God said it's mine. <laughs> So don't mess with it. I'm not trying to mess with it. I'm just asking, are, are, am I, are we honoring God with it? Now, let's have a little bit of fun, all right? Let, let's, let's make this really practical. Let's talk about pie. How many of you like pumpkin pie? See your hands. Wow, you are sick people, all right? How many of you don't like pumpkin pie? I don't either. Man, just it's like eating baby food in, 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 a, in, a, in a baked crust, all right? My wife loves it, though. Every Thanksgiving, she has to make one for herself. Yeah. She puts about as much whipped cream as there is pumpkin filling. But anyway, that's another story. I'm not a fan, but it's easier to cut. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to imagine. We're really high tech here. Have you noticed that? Okay, I noticed it. Anyway, uh, you guys are really quiet. Subject matter, isn't it? Shake it off. It's okay. All right? So imagine this pumpkin represents everything that you have. Your whole, all your resources, okay? Now, following what we're learning, who gave you the pumpkin pie? God did. God did, right? So God's pie, he gives it to you. Now, why did God give you this pie? God gives you this pie, and God gives me this pie to meet our needs. God wants to take care of us, to meet the needs of the people around us. And after our needs are met, God, God asks us to then share it so others can have a peace and be, and be blessed. Now, how do I thank God 
for what he's given to me. Well, God tells me how to thank him. God says the way I can thank him is by giving him a piece back. In that, now think about this for a minute. God gives you the gift and God says, now I want you to give that gift back to me. When my kids were little, we wanted to teach them about giving. So at Christmas time, we would give them a little bit of money and they would go to school and they had these little fairs and they'd buy something and they'd come home, we'd help them wrap it, they'd stick it under the tree and then Christmas morning, Marsha and I would open it up and we would act like we'd never seen it before. We would act like they had earned that money and they had gone out and sacrificed and given it to us. We'd just be, oh, it's amazing, you guys are wonderful. And they'd play along with us and be really happy. You know, God gives us the pie. God says, give me back a portion of the pie. And God gets happy. And God, and it's not an act. God's just amazed. He's so pleased that we could be so unselfish that we would be willing to trust him and share back with him because he knows it takes faith and trust and it brings him great joy. That's our God. All right, so now the question is, how do I get this to God? Because it's not like I can cut a piece, call a courier, and have it delivered to heaven. So God says, here's what I want you to do. The way you honor me is I want you to bring it to my storehouse. I want you to bring it to my church, my body. And I want you to entrust it that it will be used to bless your brothers and sisters in Christ. To provide a place where they can worship, where they can grow, where they can learn, etc. And I want you to give it so that the church can use it to spread this good news of my love and my pie here, near, and far. All right, now what do I do? Now i got to cut a piece for God. Now, humanly speaking, the tendency would be to say, okay, I'm going to start, first of all, by realizing I've got a piece of pie i got to cut for my mortgage. I got a piece of pie I got to cut for my kids and school if you have family and clothes, etc. I've got a piece I got to cut for the taxes. Ugh. I got a piece I've got to cut, you know, for vacation and things I'm going to do. I got a piece I've got to cut for my retirement investment. I got a piece I got to cut for a rainy day because you never know when the car is going to break down. And I got another piece I've got to cut for another situation I got going on in my life. There, there's God's piece. Right there. I can't even get that out of the pie pan. That's not how God wants us to cut the pie. I'm getting choked up, but it's because of the bread. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry for those of you online. <clears throat> what God wants me to do is to start with his piece first. Now I got to decide how big is his piece going to be? Well, I can go to the Old Testament, and the rule of thumb is a tithe, which is 10%. But if you study the tithe carefully in the Old Testament, it's more like 30%. Now you're really nervous. Don't worry. It's okay. All right. Because when you get to the New Testament, guess what happens? New Testament, God doesn't say, thou shalt tithe. Jesus doesn't say, and make sure you keep on tithing. No, he doesn't do that. Now you're like, oh, better. What Jesus says is, what I want you to do is I want you to give voluntarily. I want you to give sacrificially. And I want you to do it with joy. Now, Marsha and I have always used 10% as our rule of thumb to begin. And we try to add a percent. So, you know, over the years, we look at it and... and and we said, you know, for some, for, for some of us, 10% isn't a sacrifice. For others, it would be a huge sacrifice. So, so forget the percentage. Ask yourself proportionally what's a sacrifice. That's the point. So let's say I finally decide this, this is going to be a sacrifice. This means that I'm going to have to maybe be more careful with how I spend money in other places because I'm, I, instead I'm making room for God. Now, I know I'm messing up the pie, but I don't care. It's pumpkin pie. All right? <laughs> If it was, if it was ice cream, it would be so different, all right? 
And I put that out there. Now, here's what usually happens, all right? Especially if you're Dutch like me, okay? How many of you are Dutch, by the way? Hope you're not offended. All right. Um, so what normally happens is I look at that piece after I cut it. It was fun cutting it. Then I look at it and I go, ooh, that is a big piece. Maybe, maybe I cut it a little too big. Eh, nah, I'm going to trust God with this piece. Now, what have I just done? I've taken my focus and I've put it on the piece and I forgot about the whole pie that's left. And that's what we do. It's like, look how much I still have. And I could probably learn to use this better. So what I do is I say, God, thank you for what you've given me. And thank you for the privilege of just getting back to this, this portion, oh God. It's taking a little bit of sacrifice, but it's an honor, God, because you sacrificed everything for me. I do this with joy, with joy. Now, let's look at it in another practical way. Take your Bibles and turn over to 2 Corinthians. Hang in there with me, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is now talking to a church in a place called Corinth. It's in Greece. And he writes this letter to them, and he's trying to encourage them to be generous. And he refers to another group of churches in Macedonia, which would be like Philippi, where Philippi was located. Listen to what he says about them because it pulls everything we've been talking about together. It's amazing. Scripture is just so beautiful how God weaves things together. Verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy makes no sense. No, that's not in the verse. The make no sense. But it doesn't, humanly speaking. How can you be in a severe trial and have overflowing joy? That's what's supposed to separate us from the rest of the world. But look what else he says. And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What's that all about? I'm in a severe trial. I'm in a severe, severe trial, and I'm overflowing with joy. Strange. I'm in extreme poverty, but I'm welling up with rich generosity. Amazing. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. No guilting from a pastor. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, look at that, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Sacrificial living makes for sacrificial giving. At the end of verse 7 it says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And I love verse 8. This is what frees us all up. He says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So Paul says, Paul, not me, says, you know, if you want to evaluate your love for God, is, are, are you willing to sacrifice for God? Then you come over to chapter 9, verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So there's a great example, right, of everything we just talked about being lived out by ancient people in the church. Let's look at another example. One day Jesus was in, he was in the uh, temple area with his disciples. And he was just watching people. And he noticed that there were some rich folks coming in. And they'd stop by the 
money box and they would drop in out of their surplus. And then he noticed this poor widow. And the poor widow walks in and she has two mites. And the mites look like, like this in my hand. You can see it. A friend of mine gave this to me years ago. It's, it's, a, it's one from Israel that they found. And uh, it's just the smallest denomination a person could possibly have. And she walks in and she drops hers in. That's it. Not much compared to that pumpkin pie. Can't hardly see it, right? And look what Jesus says about her. He says, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they, gave, they have given a tiny part of their surplus, proportionally speaking. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. And Jesus must have observed that she did it with joy. That she did it with generosity. That she didn't do it begrudgingly. It really was a sacrifice. But here's what I want you to really see. Even Jesus, who is very poor, gave his best. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, I mean, very God, right? Yet he, even though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. He gave that all up. He took on a human body and became the son of a carpenter, a poor carpenter. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. How does he make us rich? Dying on the cross. Dying for our sins. Forgiving us our sins. Giving us a new day start. Giving us the promise of eternity. And someday we'll all be together in a place where there's no more tear, no more sorrow. Now if that's a pipe dream, get out of here. If that's just a psychological crutch, this is the worst place to be right now. But if God is who he says he is and we believe this to be true, can you imagine anything greater than this? But why would Jesus do that? Why would he suffer the way he suffered and die the way he died? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 gives us a clue. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look, the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? Wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart will also be. You know, that verse applies to Jesus too. So let me ask you this question. Where was Jesus' treasure? Because if you can tell me where Jesus' treasure is, I can tell you where his heart will be. And the answer to the question, are you ready for this? His treasure is you. It's you. You students, you adults, it's you. And because you are his treasure, his heart went to the cross. And he died on the cross for you and for me. Because he treasures you, he treasures me. And see, that's what God's asking us to do. He's asking us to behave like him. He's asking us to so treasure him that we're willing to be sacrificial and generous in the good times and in the hard times. Because he matters to us more than anything or anybody else does.
Where's your treasure? Where's mine? And what does our generosity say about how much we love God and his work? Would you please bow your heads with me? I just want us to use the next several moments to think about surrender because really that's what this is all about. This isn't about budget. This is about worship. This is about taking every part of our life and sometimes the hardest part of our life and saying, God, I'm sorry for being greedy and selfish with it. It belongs to you. Everything I have is from you. So before we take our offering, which we'll do later, just these next few moments, could you spend time thanking God for all that he's given to you? Salvation, forgiveness, your gifts, your talents. Say, I have so little. The problem is you have figured out you have little because you are comparing what you have to others. Instead of being thankful for what he's given you. That's the important thing. What matters most to God is not how much, but how thankful we are. So just for the next few minutes, just thank God. So I invite you, as Colin's been teaching us, to a certain posture of worship right now. So I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And just on your lap, just open your hands up or cup them before God. And I understand if you're not ready. I so respect that. It's okay. But if you're at that place right now where you're just ready to say, God, here's my little piece for you. I give it generously. I give it with rejoicing. Here's my testimony, God. It's just a portion 
sacrificially given back to you for all that you've given to me. If you're at that place, then right now in prayer, silently, give God your testimony. Whether you've given already, whether you, you, know, you give once a quarter, once a month, I don't care. Whether you give electronically, the attitude's what matters right now. And just say, God, here it is. And just, just imagine you're bringing it in a basket to him. And you just hand it over to him. Father God, I just pray that you would teach us how to worship you through giving. It's not a necessary evil, God. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. God, it is the greatest, one of the greatest privileges we have because when we do it, we're being like you. It's evidence of your presence in our life. And so, Father, we offer to you our gifts. Bless them, multiply them, be pleased with them. And if you're pleased to trust us with more in order to be used by you, we make ourselves available. In Jesus' name.